0: This is Matt Raymond at the Library of Congress. Each year, thousands of book lovers of all ages visit the nation's capital to celebrate the joys of reading and lifelong literacy at the Library of Congress National Book Festival. Honorary co-chairs in 2009, President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama. Now in its ninth year, this free event, held Saturday, September 26th on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., will spark readers' passion for learning as they interact with the nation's best-selling authors, illustrators, and poets. Even if you can't attend the festival in person, you can still participate online. These podcasts with well-known authors and other materials are available through the National Book Festival website at www.loc.gov bookfest. It's now my pleasure to talk with a breakout author, David Robleski. Mr. Robleski is widely known for his first novel, The Story of Edgar Sawtell*. It's a New York Times bestseller that retells Shakespeare's Hamlet through a young man born mute who communicates with others via his own self-created sign and body language. Edgar Sawtell has been recognized as an Oprah Winfrey Book Club Selection, Amazon's Best Book of the Month for June 2008, and a Los Angeles Times Book Prize finalist. Mr. Robleski, thank you so much for talking with us.
1: Oh, happy to be here. All right,
0: thank you. Um, First of all, let's talk about your book. Uh, Tell me about the story of Edgar Sawtell. Where did you get the idea for this? Uh,
1: It comes from a number of sources, uh, uh, partly... um, uh, it was a way for me to revisit uh, Wisconsin, where I grew up, and to take a look at that place from uh, a distance of many years. I'm almost 49, uh, or almost 50, actually, at this point uh, years old, and uh, I haven't lived in Wisconsin for a while. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to sort of look back on it. So it was a, it was a chance to do that. It was also a chance for me to, uh, to think about. Uh, something that's been very important in my life, which is my relationship with dogs, and why that has felt so um, so central to my life and so uh, so profound.
0: And, and what is what is that connection? I know you have a dog and a cat currently. Is that right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I grew up. Uh, my folks, when I was a uh, uh, when I was a kid, probably from about the time I was five years old until I was ten, uh, my folks uh, raised dogs. Um, on a farm that we lived on, in fact it's the farm that, uh, that I lived on my whole life. Um, they had um, moved there as, uh, uh, as a result of uh, a kind of bohemian move on my parents' part. They, they, they had lived in Milwaukee or the suburbs all their lives. And at one point or another they said that they wanted to try being dairy farmers and living in the country and they moved to central Wisconsin. Uh, they didn't know anybody there. They bought a, they bought a farm and land and, uh, they tried being, uh, being dairy farmers, which lasted about 18 months. They tried it, um, and failed very quickly. <laughs> and, uh, and my father went back to work, uh, in town, um, in a machine shop, but we had a, but they loved living on the farm and we had a, so we had this big barn, uh, we had about 90 acres, of field and forest and, um it gave my, my mother a chance to do something that she would always wanted to do, which was raise up. So I grew up around dogs, yeah. uh, and they're, I think they're sort of part of the bedrock of my imagination.
0: How did you develop the character of Edgar? I guess it's obligatory to ask how much of it is based on you or maybe someone that you know. Uh,
1: I don't know anybody uh, that's like Edgar in the sense of somebody who's mute and is a sort of uh... on the one hand a sort of language prodigy and on the other hand uh... mute Um, those qualities came out uh... uh, by combining uh, a couple of different uh... experiences i would had as well as my interest in uh... language. I've worked in research labs a lot during my uh... my other uh... career as a software developer and particularly a lot on um, on projects to do natural language analysis and to, to teach computers to understand English. Mm. Um, and and as a result, I've worked around a lot of linguists and gotten a sort of folk education in linguistics. And one of the things I was very interested in, it, uh, it, and it dovetails with my interest with dogs, um, is this moment in time in our lives when language, when we turn into these sort of language sponges and all of a sudden... Uh, we're absorbing words as kids so fast that um, uh, the people around us almost can't keep up. And I wondered what what it would be like for someone who was um, uh, particularly gifted with language uh, but mute. What what would they absorb differently if they were around us a lot? Uh, and how would they understand the world differently? Um, and so that was. Uh, in a way, that was sort of the premise for the story. Hmm. And the premise for Edgar's character, obviously.
0: Yeah. Um, is there anything that you hope that we can learn from Edgar? I mean, maybe even learn about ourselves?
1: You know, I resist the idea that a novel is a tool for learning about anything. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I think that the, the purpose of a novel is to give us a, this, a kind of second life that we live over days or weeks or if you read as slowly as I do, months, month. <coughs> uh, but we sort of live it in parallel um, uh, with our ordinary life. And we begin to see connections, but because it's lived in parallel and because it takes place over a long period of time, the thing that one person takes away and the connections that they make yeah, can be so different from another person's <coughs> uh, connections that to me it feels impossible and almost a- against the art form to try and uh, condense that into one, one set lesson.
0: So the experience is an end in itself.
1: At, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I uh, have lived many lives because because I've read novels, um, and I don't I don't myself feel a need to um, justify it any further than that. Now you worked for a
0: decade on this book. Is that correct?
1: Well, give or take. You know, it depends on how you count. My my earliest notes on the story. Uh, uh, are uh, are dated from 1993, so and it was published in 2008. So, in terms of a lapse time, 15 years, but uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of um, churn during that time. As I was trying to understand how to write a novel, I ended up going back to school to study in an MFA program uh, to work with actual novelists to answer some very basic questions I had about how to make one of these things, and so on. And so, I say 10 years as a sort of rough average.
0: So what, what is the process? Do you come up with an outline and then get a draft fairly quickly and a lot of revisions? How, how do you, how do you uh, what's your process? My,
1: my process was, uh, uh, well, first of all, the, there were some basic uh, piece parts of the story that were sort of handed to me one afternoon from wherever ideas come from. Um, that involved combining uh, this old story of Hamlet and actually the stories that preceded Hamlet. Um, and letting that play out in this place that I knew uh, which is the farm I grew up on and having the stakes somehow involve dogs and our experience with dogs and so on so, so there was that initial impulse which I mainly had an emotional reaction to it wasn't a very detailed um, thing but it came along with one other uh, element and that was the idea of structuring the story like a five act play and uh, I, the other three elements uh, had been in my mind at various points uh, before but it wasn't until the addition of treating it in sort of five formal acts that all of a sudden I felt like I could sit down and get started and I felt like on that the day that that happened I felt like I understood more or less what each of those five acts were even if I didn't understand anything about what was happening inside the act uh, in detail uh, I did have a feeling about in a very strong sense about how each act would feel as you read it. So uh, uh, after that, it became a process of experimentation and exploration and floundering around, frankly, to understand how best to achieve that sort of initial impulse.
0: Hmm. Now, obviously, a project you worked on so long, I would assume it's a labor of love. How does it feel to come out on the other end and have it be received so warmly and, and, frankly, with such critical acclaim?
1: Uh, surreal is probably the single word that that uh, captures it best. Um, I uh, I absolutely did not believe that this novel was going to be published, um, and in fact, there was a there was a moment when um, I had to choose between taking a new job that had been offered to me, very exciting, uh, engrossing job that was going to eat up all my time, uh, or sitting still uh, and waiting to see if the book was going to sell, and I. I had had a discussion with my agent, actually the very first time I met her face to face, um, to see what she thought the prospects were, and she said, uh, "I, uh, I'm absolutely sure." This was in early November of 2006. She said, "I'm absolutely sure. I'm I'm going to be able to find a place for this book by the end of the year." And uh, I listened to her and I thought about it and I went home and I told Kimberly, "I'm taking the job. The book's never going to sell." <laughs> uh, and two weeks later, she called me and said. Uh, um, seven publishers interested in buying it and ultimately, ultimately went to uh, HarperCollins. So uh, so uh, I, th- when I sort of juxtaposed that sort of certainty that this book was only a book for me and a few of my friends and it was a very personal uh, vision that was so idiosyncratic that no one would be interested in publishing it, and I contrast that with what actually happened, uh, I think I'm still trying to reconcile those two experiences. Obviously, I'm still thrilled by it
0: hmm.
1: uh, but um, sometimes it's just a little surprising to me that so many people haven't read this book
0: is being selected for the Oprah book club something like winning the lottery I would I would think so
1: <laughs> oh absolutely <yeah. laughs> no question um, uh, yeah, it, it's very exciting very very much fun and of course um, it, it, it involves a lot of uh, chance to talk to readers through her book club because they do a really great job of um, uh, uh, running discussion groups and doing question and answer with, with the uh, with the author over the course of the months that the book is, is selected so that was actually the, the most fun for me was uh, these great questions that I would come through hmm. and I would have a chance to sort of write up answers and maybe got posted on the website
0: mm-hmm. Now you mentioned earlier your background in computers and I think software developer and novelist it, it seems like two very different sides of the brain. What, what was that transition like for you?
1: Oh, well, I don't. Uh, I, I don't experience it as using different parts of the brain. And I know a lot of people uh, have this impression that when you're making software, you're doing something that's sort of coldly analytical. Um, that you know, you're pulling out your slide rule every five minutes every five, you know, to check check things. But in fact, um, making software is very, very much like um, like making fiction. And there's a lot of what I call habits of mind that that transfer. So, for instance, I, I mean the way I think of uh, a, a, a complex computer program is like um, is that is that it's most like a piece of kinetic sculpture. And if you're going to make it, you have to be able to visualize it. It's moving. It's in three dimensions. It sort of has. It's a, it's a machine that's working and, and doing things. And you have to you have to have uh, some. Uh, some love for visualizing the way complicated things move in your mind, and those and, and you learn over time to get better and better at that uh, when you work with software. And I think that's something that I- is exactly analogous to putting together a complicated story. Um, so that's, that's at least one point of uh, commonality between them, but there's many others. Uh, uh, people who work in software are always dealing with metaphor. It's Mm. just, it's work that is soaked in metaphor. There's no, you you can't even pick up a a program, uh, a listing of a program without essentially encountering on the very first line a metaphor for what's happening. And in fact, most people who write software think of them primarily as um, a story told to another programmer who will exist down the line somewhere and only secondarily as something to be executed on a computer. Mm-hmm. So, all, so all these things are mean for me that the, the process of writing fiction, even though it, it looks from the outside very differently, from the inside as somebody who likes to make things, it, it feels very much the same.
0: Now I know that photography is also a passion of yours. How does telling a story in words differ from, I guess, telling a story in pictures?
1: Well, it's true. I, I, I do love photography. Although I started writing, uh, I started taking photographs uh, because I read uh, some advice once that Flannery O'Connor wrote that said that all writers should should take up painting because it would improve their power of observation. Mm-hmm. And that and uh, and I thought I was I, that was a hopeless task for me. But I thought, well, maybe I could take pictures, um, even though I'd never been interested in it. In it, and I particularly started on black and white photography because I never understood what it was about black and white photography. Why wouldn't you always prefer to take pictures in color? And so I just, uh, I took a year and I said, all I'm going to do is expose a thousand negatives. I don't care if I make a single print, but maybe I'll learn something if I do that. And by the time that year was up, I was in love with the process of doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't feel the same as making a picture or as making a story at all. Um, It's an entirely different craft, and I'm a I'm absolutely a hobbyist and amateur, and actually not very good at it at all. (laughs) But um, it does have the it does have this quality, which I think is the same, and that is your job is to go around in a three dimensional world with 360 degrees of view around you in 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 every on every axis, and fit somehow fit something into a rectangle, which is just a few degrees of you know, uh, of view on on all that and somehow make it artificially represent or evoke a larger world. So it's a very artificial thing to do, uh, and I respond to it uh, uh, on that level um, of finding finding this very limited scene that somehow creates a whole world.
0: Um, your, your story, your background, uh, really, I think kind of amazing, um, wh- what kind of advice would you offer to especially young people who are maybe interested in following your footsteps?
1: Uh, well, if, uh, if my, uh, if my experience is guide uh, one thing to do is to learn how to make something else besides, uh, fishing. Uh, and... And transfer the lessons you learn in that realm into the writing of your fiction. Um, and I don't think it actually matters much what what that might be, as long as it's a it, as long as it is a craft, as long as it involves deeply engaging some material, and and uh, and trying to make something that that's complicated enough that once you get into the middle of it, you you don't know what's going to come out the other end. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what you learn from that process is to trust the half-made thing. This is very important. Mm. To, trust, to trust the thing when it's, a, when, it's not, when it's not in its final form, but it's got enough shape and enough substance to it to start to resist, to talk back, to say, I'm going to be good at this. I'm not going to be good at that. I don't know what you had in mind for me, but if you want me to be good at that, then you're going to have to start over. Mm want kind to of go with what I'm, what I'm turning out to be good at, let's go here. And if you're willing to learn that kind of, that ability to sort of read the thing when it's not complete, uh, I think it will, it will inform your writing in a, in a really good way. Hmm. Um,
0: before I let you go, I, I have to ask what's next for you, any future novels or other projects?
1: I am at work on a novel, a new novel, uh, right now, um, and, uh, I'm, I'm in, the, in, I'm in the stage that is just before what I just described, which is that stage where you're still assembling things and it, and, uh, it hasn't had a, had a chance to sort of wake up and push back yet, mm-hmm. um, uh, so, uh, which I always find to be the hardest part of any project. Um, so, but it's enjoyable, and, uh, and uh, I'm, 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 I'm there every day slugging away.
0: David Robleski, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. And we're looking forward to hearing even more from you at the National Book Festival. That's on Saturday, September 26th on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., rain or shine. It's uh, free and open to the public. For more details and a complete list of participating authors, you can visit www.loc.gov bookfest. This is Matt Raymond from the Library of Congress. Thank you so much for listening.